0: Here's how dyslexia helped make me a millionaire. You've probably heard by now that I was a pretty bad student at school, but what you might not know is I now consider that my biggest asset. I've wrestled with details like letters and numbers my whole life. I was a quiet kid in the classroom and spent my time sizing up the kids and navigating the choppy waters to avoid feeling embarrassed. I didn't want to feel embarrassed in front of my peers and my teachers, and my biggest fear all day long was that I would be called on to read out loud. It's so painful to have to stand up in front of your peers and not be able to read the way they read. A few weeks ago, I talked about how my lousy report card built my business, but today, I want to talk about how it built me as a person and as a business leader. Dyslexia has given me great empathy and absolutely no errors when you're labeled a loser as a kid you develop empathy and kindness toward others because you need it so much shown toward you you can't look down at anyone because you know how it feels to be looked down upon and people tend to trust you when you have empathy as they should and if they trust you people are more apt to be willing to follow your lead My struggles with letters and numbers taught me to learn everything thoroughly if given the gist of a situation, the bigger picture, or the details of a larger context, and as a result, I naturally can get it quickly. I can also paint the bigger picture for others, and that makes me a more persuasive leader. My constant sizing up of classrooms and anxiety of getting called on has stuck with me in a way. I still scan situations that I walk into that are new and can spot the potential landmines quite naturally. I feel it in my bones. I'm fairly accurate because I've had a lot of practice and I've learned to trust my gut. That's what your gut really is if you think about an accumulation of past experience that tip you off as to what might happen this time around. This anxiety has caused me to be a huge overpreparer because I never want to get caught with my pants down. It's a huge advantage in business to walk into any situation and be grossly overprepared for what you walk into. Reading and writing are slow and tedious for me, but my words come easily. I've learned to make up for what I can't write with my mouth. I've published three books with voice dictation and lots of spell check, and yet I'm the kid that has a hard time reading and writing. My big mouth makes me a great salesman, I think I can talk a dog off a meat wagon and get others on board with an idea or a product which has made me an expert in sales, also in recruiting, marketing and PR, and also in making friends. The things I consider to be my biggest strengths would not have been possible if I wasn't a dyslexic kid that struggled to get good at the muscles that they had rather than the muscles that they didn't have. I had a lot of time to daydream when I was locked up in that stupid classroom six hours a day learning nothing. I needed to occupy my mind with something, and it sure wasn't going to be letters and numbers. So I spent my entire school day daydreaming, and as a result, I'm a super creative person. I can churn up an idea a minute and can usually think of a creative solution faster than almost anybody. At 23, I daydreamed I would be the queen of New York real estate, and years later, I was running the biggest shop in town as the leader in my field in real estate. That could not have happened if I hadn't spent those endless hours learning how to daydream. I saw it in living color, what I would be wearing, how I would be acting, what people's reaction would be, like the movie had lived in my brain for many years before it actually happened. But most importantly, I've learned how to get through struggle as a result of being a struggling student. And I've learned how to work super hard to get where I need to go. My reality is that nothing comes easily and I don't expect it. And I need to work my ass off at every new thing I do. Not a bad thing to learn early. Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love. My friends at On Deck Business Loans. Now let's get back to the show. Hi, Barbara. My name is Nicole, and I'm calling from Ohio. I have a question for you that pertains to my current role and beyond. In my role, when I look at my counterparts, I am currently the youngest by about 20 years. And a few months ago, I had an opportunity to take a CEO position in a nonprofit. With over 200 applicants, I made it to top five and then was weeded out. I often think my age is one of the reasons because, again, in the top five, I was the youngest by about 20 years. My question is pertaining to my age. Do you think that sometimes one could be or seem overly eager for a promotion, a position, or a role? If so, how do you suggest we show that we are able and capable in just a 20-minute interview slot? Thanks, Barbara. Nicole, I can hear how excited you are from that question. What I first want to start with is telling you to slow down a bit. You're so perky and enthusiastic that you come across as even younger than you actually are. So by you taking your pace of speaking down by 50%, you're going to feel more substantial right away as I'm doing with my voice now. And you're going to feel to the person who's interviewing you that you know what you're talking about. You heard the difference in that? I don't believe you need to be older to be smart. When I started my business at 23, everyone who worked for me was at least 10 years older than me, but I thought of myself as the parent, that it was my job to take care of everyone. I never thought I shouldn't be taking care of them. They should be taking care of me because they're older. So I think when you walk into an interview, you might think of yourself in your own image in your mind as a caregiver. You're there to do a good job and take care of the responsibilities and the people and speak from that vantage point. That's the second thing I'd say. You need to have a story in the interview, I believe, to overcome anything that you see as a hindrance. So if you think your young age is a hindrance, you have to develop a story that rings true and addresses the age objection before they even raise it. So for example... I might say if I was in your position, most people at work think I'm so young, but I'm actually much more mature than I am because I've always taken care of my older siblings and my family. I've always had a part-time job. I always had to help my parents out. So although I look like I'm 18 on the outside, I'm really 35 on the inside. You need to have a script to tell, so it bangs that young image right out of the person's head, who's doing the interviewing, and they'll look at you as the older person for the rest of the interview. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I hope so. Let me also address what you need to wear. You should be wearing clothing that dresses you for the part that you want. So, for example, if you're wearing slingbacks appropriate to your age, Replace them with a solid shoe, a real dress, or maybe even a suit. You're going to edit your clothing to look like what that person who's interviewing you wants to see. And if it requires that you dress a little bit older, by all means, go out and buy that old outfit. For example, I never hire anyone who wears really high heels to an interview. Maybe it's a pet peeve, but I never even get to look at their resume. I'm thinking that anyone who dresses in a pair of high heels and clumps into an interview isn't going to work very hard once they get the job. I might be right, I might be wrong, but it points to the very important thing that how you physically represent yourself in an interview counts for a lot. It's called first impression, and you only get one shot at doing that. So in short, forget about being young. Think instead you can handle the responsibility and make sure you use these couple of adjustments because I think they'll make a huge difference in how you'll come across in the interview and landing the right job. Hey, Barbara, this is Melissa from Alabama. Uh, question on handshakes. What's your advice for somebody who, due to a birth defect or some other condition, can't give a proper right-handed handshake and they're left with either an improper limp? Uh, incomplete handshake with the right hand or a left-handed shake. It's been a frustrating situation for me for many years, and I would love your advice. I think, Melissa, you need to address it head-on, immediately when you meet people. I have no doubt the other person is as self-conscious and as uncomfortable as you are, so it's your job to get them over it and to get them over it fast. I think you should immediately extend your left hand when you meet the next person and say with a big smile, I'm Melissa. Let's see how good you are with your left hand. I've gotten pretty good. Try it. I think you'll put the person at ease and you'll endear them to you, as everyone loves someone who's overcome adversity with a good sense of humor. A good handshake is important, but making a confident first impression is even more important. Business Unusual is part of the iHeartRadio podcast network. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.